When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt. Joined by at StayTrueS.3. That's where you can find him on Twitter. Steven Gardner. And we are here to talk about the Suns taking care of business, but then immediately looking forward to what I might add is a, a bit of a scary opponent waiting for them in Denver. Uh, we again into the Valley part of the Helio Hoops Network and the Fans First Sports Network. And we are very excited. Uh, Steven, I. No, you of all people are probably just like the most excited to see Suns Nuggets, but I'm going to have to hold off on just a second so that we can kind of close the book on the Clippers series, turn the page from storylines that are about Norman Powell and Russell Westbrook before we get to the good stuff. But let's talk, let's talk game five of the Clippers series real quick. How'd you feel? How'd you feel coming on after that game? A win's a win. But, uh, you know, for you, I'm guessing there might be a little bit more to the story. What do you feel about Game 5? I think Game 5 was the perfect template for seeing what the peak Suns team could potentially look like in terms of taking the game plan of the opposing team's defense and just completely throwing it over the rope and just doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and how they want. I think that was essentially the best way to sum up the third quarter. And to zoom in even more, everything that they did in that third quarter was rooted in defense. They got pull-up three-pointers from Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, but they came after getting stops and blowing up sets and actions from the Clippers. They also got great flow in their half-court sets and pace and everything as well. All of that stemming from their defensive performance in that third quarter. And I think everything is just going to continue to be rooted in what they do on that end of the floor because the other end will naturally take care of itself. I thought the rotations finally kind of figured themselves out as well in a lot of ways, um, which gives me some confidence moving forward. Now, for the sake of not being old man that screams at the sky, we're not going to talk about the Suns Twitter discourse over guys that played five minutes or less because they can get over it. Let's talk about the guys that played enough minutes to actually have an opinion formed about them, if you will. Tory Craig and Josh Kogi, I thought. I thought that mix was perfect. I thought it was a great example of we're starting a certain way, but we'll adapt if needed. And and Josh just thrived in those minutes. And as you, as you mentioned specifically, the defense, the havoc blowing up the plays, that is that guy in a nutshell. And I thought he absolutely just shined in that game. And made an immediate impact, right? Like he is the energy and the spark that can be needed when a game kind of gets to that, hey, is it out of hand? Have the Suns pulled away? And another team starts creeping back. I also have to ask this question from, uh, we'll see how honest you are. I wasn't honest with myself. I'll put it that way. End of that game, how nervous were you? Oh, I was absolutely nervous because we've seen we've seen we've seen this play out, whether it be the Suns directly or other teams. When you when you go to a prevent offense that early in the fourth quarter and there's literally like six and a half minutes left in the game and you expect for the other team to just concede it nine times out of ten, that doesn't work. 
And the Suns only got away with it because they have the bucket getters that can just score whenever they want to. Otherwise, they would have been maybe playing today. Like I know that's that, that's a scary proposition to think. Like playing extra games in the playoffs when you don't need to always works against whatever your goal is. I uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, share my own old takes exposed, if you will. <laughs> I texted this to uh, my best friend Sean uh, and my brother Ryan as we're watching that game. End of the third quarter, I said, Booker is so stupid, obviously, in the best way possible. I'm so glad this game has gone the way it has. Didn't want another tight game. Ryan said, same brother, that game was bliss. And then we fast forward. About six minutes later, I get hit with a text that just says, at cold takes exposed. And I said, nah. I'm still vibing. It was like a six-point game at that point. My confidence was not to be shaken. And then (laughs) that game proceeded to go the way that it did. And I just was like, oh, maybe I was a little little too confident, a little too sure of myself. And And you're right. I mean, we've seen it happen before. We're also playing against a Clippers team that although they don't really have a light at the end of the tunnel, they still fight so hard. Like, they have that more is pride a, than any team in the playoffs. Yes. That is outside a, of Miami. <laughs> great word. That is mm-hmm. a that's a team of very prideful people in terms of what they put out on the court. Those are guys that they could get swept. And let's say the game four was close, game three they lost by 30. They'd probably be more upset about game three than getting swept. Like that is a team of guys that just does not want to put up with that. And Ty Lue is a coach that does not just throw the clipboard to the side as the game gets out of hand. I mean, he is phenomenal. And I felt like he got a lot of good, well-earned attention just from how he handled that series. I should have seen it coming. I got a little confident. I saw us win one first quarter and thought the tides were turning. (laughs) And unfortunately that just didn't happen. Uh, in terms of the fourth quarter, do you think, and maybe this is too tricky of a question, is there anything you took from that fourth quarter as like a, hey, this is a noteworthy weakness, whether that's on lack of execution offensively when the game seems to be taken care of, or defensively as the game kind of went down to those clutch minutes where things were close, yet they still kept getting some pretty good looking shots, I thought. Um, you know, this wasn't Norman Powell hitting shots over an outstretched DeAndre Ayton. Like they were getting some pretty open shots. Batum deciding he can hit a shot again was very frustrating. Like, did you learn anything from that fourth quarter? Do you think Monty's going to take anything from that fourth quarter looking ahead? I think I learned and I think Monty also had takeaways from that fourth quarter. I think the first of which is that this team, especially after the type of third quarter that they had, the nail was like halfway into his last hole to close the coffin, but they left that last little bit of space. And again, if you have a prideful team, they're going to scratch and claw into that final buzzer. And in that, we saw, like I mentioned in the opening, the, the Suns went to their prevent offense. They stopped running their stuff uh, before the halfway mark of the fourth quarter. So you're not getting any action, and then you're taking a late shot clock, uh, highly contested looks at the basket. You can make some of those, but you're losing your flow. And in addition to that, because you were scoring so well in the third quarter, you were forcing the Clippers to take the ball out the basket all the time. So you take away the flow of your offense and you take away being able to have your defense consistently set. Now you're putting yourself in a compromising situation with a player like Russell Westbrook, who is one of the best drivers of the basketball mm-hmm. to, to ever touch the hardwood. And then Norman Powell is one of the best in the league at doing so at this present moment as well. And then you add to that the fact that the Clippers were up in the tempo off of that and just really, really pushing the pace to try to beat the Suns back, which they were doing, that allowed for them to get stops, play with flow, and then establish some rhythm to essentially erase what that, that big-time lead in the third quarter was for the Suns. So they kind of undid what they all the work that they put forth in that third frame. So I think just them paying attention to their process and sticking to what got them the lead and running their sets on offense – uh, that'll just that'll take care of like three fourths of the problem in my opinion because teams don't have enough time to come back at that point. Yeah, I I agree with you, man. Like I I was I was getting frustrated seeing that some people's fourth quarter takes were how are we not getting the ball into Kevin Durant's hand? Like that's not that's not a, a solution to the problem because the problem started eight minutes before 
clutch time began. It was it was very clear to me. It seemed the Suns had already started viewing what Denver was going to look like. You know what I mean? Like even those possessions late, where it was almost. I wouldn't call it straight ISO ball, but it was like Booker was happy to pound the ball into the court for the first 15 seconds. And if it's a regular season game where he's sitting at 53 and we're all cheering for him to get 60, that's one thing, but it's not. It's a clinching playoff game against a team that cares. This is not the, all right, let's let book cook and try to hit 50 or 60. Like, no, if the best shot is eight and underneath, get them, get them the ball. Like, I don't care. Who is scoring points? It's a game at home where you can clinch, get extra rest, you move on. It frustrated me that it seemed like the team settled. Like, it looks like they just got complacent. I, they're grown men. That's not a coaching issue, right? Like, Monty can't say anything in a timeout to get them to be like, oh, yeah, we need to do this. Like, that's, that's each person out there making the decision. And I know that's true because you see how Josh is playing out there. That looks like a guy who's not settling or being complacent. And the immediate impact he had was like, oh, that's a guy that still wants to win this game and isn't content with a 10-point lead. So I don't know. You've made comments. There's some guys that like first quarter, they kind of just have to warm themselves up. It's like mentally they have to get checked in. It was almost like they had to go through that again. It was like they thought they were at a point where they could check out. And then the lead got trimmed and they're like slowly waking up. And then it's a six-point game. They're like, oh, I guess this is like actually happening. And then it's a three-point game. You're like, wait, where are we? How much time's left on the clock? And you're now in clutch time minutes in a game that you should have won by 25. Like that, that to me is on the players. That's that's each one of them making the decision of what to do. So I don't think for me there's any like the Clippers found a weakness or the Suns lost some bit of efficiency. Like it looks like they just checked out. Frustrating. Also human nature. It is what it is. In terms of the series as a whole, I feel like it'd be hard to not have the same answer here. But who's your MVP of that first round series against the Clippers? <laughs> it's that number one guy. You know, the guy that went to Kentucky, the guy that loves his old school cars, guys that minds his business, stays out of the <laughs> out of the limelight, is just cool and playing Call of Duty all the time. Yeah. Him. Him. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenal, man. Like that 37.2 points, hot. 60% from the field, 40%, 46.7%, excuse me, from three, and 64.8% from two dog. Come on, man. What's, what's, and this is so silly. What's frustrating is I thought he had on lock the best player in the first round. You gotta give it up to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler said, I see what you're doing. I respect the heck out of it. But I would like that to be mine. And I think Devin Booker can comfortably be the second best player of the first round of the playoffs. Uh I got just I mean, look, we're I know we're here to talk sons. People can give us a minute. I want you to tell me how you felt watching that Jimmy Butler ending. So if- game. For sure. So for anybody that knows me, it is not even intentional for me. It's just kind of just because of who I like and how I feel like I kind of can compare to as an athlete. I love dogs. Like, I love dogs. And if we're talking about dogs in the NBA, dogs are the players that, especially in the playoffs, raise their level of play from what it was in the regular season in 82 games to a different level in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler is that guy at the top of that list. And it's <laughs> it's just a certain like certain people just care more. You can tell like Chris Paul is cut from that same cloth. Obviously, Devin Booker is obviously Kevin Durant is Jimmy Butler is just he, he's just different, man. I he's different. Lost, it's on both sides of the ball, too, man. I lost my mind mm-hmm. on that last second shot. I mean, mm-hmm. I was Brooke was Brooke was asleep in bed. I was out in the living room watching. And I jumped out of my chair level of just, <laughs> and again, like I don't even care about either of those teams, but just seeing him do what he did. Oh goodness. Uh, amazing. The, I dude, was, the dude was I, talking to Drew Holiday. They were, all, down, they were down five points under two minutes. Drew Holiday just got a stop. And Jimmy was talking to him like they were up 10. He was down. 
and then Cam Dalcourt and proceeded to do it. And then, and then the talking went to the fans. Of and course, then the talking went to Spo when Spo tries to draw something else up, and he's like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. no." Mm-hmm. I'm, how do you not love that? He and also happens to be the dude who does his NBA.com photos <laughs> with the crazy long hair, <laughs> and then does a coffee shop in the bubble, like. Mm-hmm likable dude in general which makes it even more fun watching him just be mm-hmm. become the capital d type of dog out there where yep. i'm just like how do you not root for that yep it's it, from more i just context. i knew you had to be having such a good time <laughs> absolutely dude oh my god and so for people that don't really like follow jimmy or know that much about him outside of his like nba career especially with the heat so context matters, especially in the playoffs. The fact that Jimmy was playing in his old stomping grounds, he went to Marquette. Mm-hmm. So there's a different type of engagement level when you're playing somewhere where you're extremely comfortable. You probably see people in the stands as you've been seeing for the past like 10, 15 years of your life. It just makes the entire ambiance and the entire just effect different. So the fact that he did what he did against the team that had the best record in the NBA, against the team that beat them um, last time they went against yep. each other, they had a lot of history there. At the context of him playing in his college stumping grounds backyard, it's just like a movie almost, man. He was embracing you, his inner villain, and he loved every second. Of did you know that there was another Marquette grad in that game? Oh yeah, Wesley Matthews. Yep. Oh, do you know there was another Marquette grad? He had he didn't touch uh, the court though. I'm sorry. Do you oh, remember? Jay Crowder. Oh, yeah, of course, Jay Crowder. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, which is I wild will, to think I about. I will <laughs> use I will use the villain arc of Jay Crowder to bring this back home. For Suns fans who were kind enough to let us talk about things you might not care about, let me give you a a quick little, just check in on a a couple groups of people who you might have been frustrated with. Let's, uh, let's, Let's date it back as far back as the Milwaukee Bucks, the team that beat us in the NBA Finals. They're no longer in the playoffs. If you're a team or a fan that takes joy in others' demise, how they have wronged you in the past, congratulations, the Bucks are no longer here. On top of that, it's a good time to remind you that the Mavericks and the Pelicans didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, That hopefully will make you feel good as well. And then Jay Crowder. This one, I actually love Jay Crowder, to be quite honest with you. I think the character is entertaining. Mm -hmm. I think what he brought to Phoenix was phenomenal. I had Mm -hmm. zero complaints on the court. Poor guy essentially got quoted today in a, I don't know what my role is here in Milwaukee. And it just made me be like, man, I wish you would have just stuck. Like, I wish, I don't think we'd get Kevin Durant. I think the world would be a different world. But I'm just like, man, it'd be it'd be great to have that presence because obviously the team still loves them. Business decisions, man. You live with the good ones. You live with the bad ones. Uh, but lots of folks no longer in the playoffs. A couple still continuing on. Uh, Warriors playing tonight in a game that I will be very happy to watch how are you feeling about that one also just kind of real quick when you were talking about uh players that are teams that have something to do with the Suns, one way or another uh-huh. shout out to the twins because mikhail bridges operating as a number one operating against double teams that he hasn't seen especially on the playoff stage still being a focal point of offense cameron johnson growing in his aggression coming on his own a little bit more on the defensive side as well. Like, shout out those two guys. I know we talked about everybody else, but I wanted to make sure we at least made note of what those no, two were doing in their point. different situation as well. Cameron Johnson's in um, – he's in tow for a big bag this summer, by the way, which he must I love him more so than much. deserves. Absolutely. I love him so much. I Absolutely. I think I didn't realize – we might have talked about this. I don't remember. When the trade happened, I feel like 95% of the Suns fandom was just like, Morning mm-hmm. over Mikhail. Mm-hmm. The fan I favorite. The, I felt the same way about Cam as I did about Mikhail. Like yep. I I love the whether it's the the injury comeback, whether that's the you got brought in to be one thing and you prove people wrong over and over by showing you got I don't know. I love those players. I love those stories. I love both of those guys. If yep. if somehow they both find their way home, I'll be the happiest man in the world. But would the books say 2026? That's what he said. I don't buy that, though. Not if he keeps taking all the money he's taking. I don't know where the other money comes from. But uh, no, uh, unfortunate end getting swept by the Sixers, who I'm intrigued to continue watching, I may add. Uh, mm. But a fun experience for them, getting to have a really different role 
in a very different playoff atmosphere than what they had in the past. Um, and yeah, we've got we got Warriors Kings tonight in a very fun, exciting series that I hope goes to seven, so people keep getting tired. Mm-hmm. We've got the Lakers Grizzly. That side of the bracket is very exciting. And unfortunately, I think the two best teams in the West have taken care of business and now play each other. And that is the Suns and the Nuggets. Both series went to five. Both lost games in, I wouldn't say like with caveats to them, but I think they're interesting within the story. Like the one we lost to the Clippers was a very Kawhi heavy focus that was then taken out of the series. The loss for the Nuggets was in the Timberwolves just throwing everything in the world at them, kind of emptying the tank just to take them to overtime to not get swept. Neither series, I felt like, quickly, could have gone any way but Suns advancing and Nuggets advancing. It seemed like that made the most sense. We we tiptoed around it last episode to not curse our, uh, our, our Suns here, but like it seemed this was the direction we're going. And so you've got the Nuggets coming off of a five-game series where Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic showed that they are phenomenal basketball players. And Michael Porter Jr. showed, like he has all season, by the way, that him slipping in the draft is going to go down as something that was absolutely insane, which it was when it happened and will continue to be. And then after that, you've got an interesting kind of matching of aggressive, long, lengthy KCP, Jeff Green types with a Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon thrown in there. But you've really got the the three focal points of their offense and then a lot of really good utility people around them. But for the first time, they're healthy. And that, for Nuggets fans, has been the number one reason they've not won more than they have. Health. So looking into this series, we have a healthy-ish Suns team, I think campaign still looks like he's got some work to do, but outside of him, everyone seems to be at full strength, and the Nuggets appear at full strength. Steven, as you, a man who watched more Nuggets than I have during the regular season by a good bit, are looking ahead to this series. What are you looking for? What gets you excited as a basketball fan? Talk to me how you're Explain to me what your brain has been thinking the last couple of days, because I know it has been firing uh, probably at an unhealthy level of activity. <laughs> unhealthy is right. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, just kind of looking at this series at large, I think the clashing of styles always makes for a fun and extremely entertaining series, regardless of what the length of it is. Just because you're seeing, you're going to have to see both teams making adjustments to what the other team is doing and trying to take something off the table from the opposing team and the struggles that come with that on a minute-by-minute basis, let alone on a game-by-game basis. Uh, playing with matchups, playing with schemes, all of that fun stuff. Um, trying to see who's going to blink first in this series is going to be interesting because we saw in the first round that Monty Williams, um, before Ty Lue could even finish tying his shoes, he had already um, had his blinking moment by changing the starting lineup. And taking Joshua Koji out and putting Tory Craig in. Now, granted, it did work, but that's not typically something that bodes well for your team going into a series. So seeing Monty, as I expect, have Joshua Koji, who played double the minutes that Tory Craig did in game five to close out the Clippers, seeing the Koji back in the starting lineup is something that I'm expecting. And I mean, outside of outside of the stylistic clash, looking at what he can do in terms of setting the tone, because a lot of what the Denver Nuggets do consists of the two-man game between Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And the best thing that Josh Okoji brings to the table is his point of attack defense and activity. So if he can have his impact be more dictative than Jamal Murray's shot making and shot creation ability, that's going to take a big peg off of the table for the Nuggets. And obviously they have different ways that they can pivot to with Nikola Jokic being the all-world player that he is. But if they can take away some of what Jamal Murray does, which is what Nikhil Alexander-Walker did for the Timberwolves in that series, that can change a lot of things because the, the, the Suns have a firepower that the Timberwolves can't match. So if you get that dynamic plus the scoring from the Suns, I don't know, man. I think it'll be a close series, but it could be shorter than people expect potentially. Yeah, I, I think I think if you're looking strictly uh, matchup 
thinking with your brain, not trying to bring in all of the, well, this storyline and maybe that like, if I were to put these two teams in the 2K simulator and said, play 10 times, I think the Suns win seven or eight. I think the matchups favor the Suns. I think the strengths favor the Suns. And I think ways that you would typically want to attack the Nuggets, the Timberwolves were not equipped for. I think the Timberwolves were a team built to get beat by the Nuggets. And so when I'm looking at the Suns and where they shine, I think, and again, it's not how it happened, but I think the Suns' weaknesses would have been the most on display by a healthy Clippers. I really do. I think if you're looking at healthy teams in the West, a healthy Clippers can take advantage of some of the weak points of the Suns. Mainly Suns defensively. Suns offense, not to oversimplify, it's really hard to find any defense that you're going to say provides a weakness of some kind for the Suns offense. That just doesn't happen. Like this isn't this isn't a trio of stars who are so predicated on one type of shot. This wasn't LeBron before he shot the three confidently looking and saying, we have him, D-Wade, Bosh, we need shooters. We need shooters to create everything. We need to open it up. That's not how our three are built. We have three level scorers from our top three guys. Because of that, things are going to open up. Offensively, I'm not nervous. I'm just not. Uh, If we lose this series, I think we'll lose with scores of like 152 to 145. I think the Suns are going to score. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Defensively, I I think, and I don't know if it's because people like to clown on Jokic or if Murray's just been out of the picture due to injury. I do genuinely think people undervalue both of their talents. Yep. Um, Points-wise, they both put up near identical numbers in the first series against the T-Wolves. Shooting percentages are a thing that I want to continue to remind people of. Jamal Murray shot 43% from three. Jokic shot 50% on just a hair over 20 attempts. It's not a fluke when he makes one, guys. If you've not watched him in a while, it's going to happen. The number for me that stuck out after saying the Nuggets had a very successful series, what number does really shines that to me? Jamal Murray, 32 assists to 13 turnovers. Jokic, 45 assists to 14 turnovers. Mm-hmm. Those guys were in their bag creatively. They were able to facilitate and create for everyone without the typical pressure that you have to have on them to slow them down. And I say slow them down, not stop them. You do not stop these guys. But you can try to slow them down. And I love your point about what Josh brings to the table because I think he could score zero points in this whole series and still have a top three impact because you need to just unleash that energy and kind of make him go out and be a dog on defense. The, I have this pride that no one's getting by me. No one's scoring on me. And you are just going to be a pest. I think, I I don't know who else can play that role beside him when it comes to Jamal Murray in particular, because Jamal Murray is incredibly talented. Shot maker extraordinaire. Right. Like this isn't a guy that, a quick double does the trick. Like this is a, you're going to be one-on-one. The pressure's got to be there. You cannot foul. You can't let him bait you into something stupid. You have to just make, I mean, you have to make him work just to get the ball. Like Mm -hmm. face guard the man wherever he is and make his life miserable. He's really, really good. And I feel like people don't remember that for some reason because he's been gone so much. And Jokic gets a lot of attention, which is due. But when you're looking at this Nuggets team, I feel like when it comes, let's just go one by one in their top two. When it comes to Jokic, I feel like if I'm saying, what's your answer? There's not a lot of routes to look other than DeAndre Ayton. Maybe you're getting creative with with KD and some of his help side stuff. But like Jokic isn't the, I'm getting the ball four feet from the goal and going to work on you. He gets the ball wherever he wants. He doesn't need to get it a certain place. He, he has phenomenal. Yeah, he has phenomenal <laughs> post move, like footwork, stupid. He gets his. So starting with him, what what do you expect to see from the Suns in terms of 
what they might throw out at him? And why do you think it might be different than last series now that Jamal Murray's out there with him? Well, what's going to be different from last series to this series is that you actually have a point guard that you have to like truly hold yourself accountable for. And it's not just the traditional isolation or pick and roll play. Jamal Murray is a lot closer to Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard in terms of having a blend of being able to run pick and roll, but also being able to run in isolation, but also having an off-screen dynamic. That's a lot. He's an all-encompassing offensive player, particularly and especially as a scorer. So seeing a Koji being able to put forth his screen navigation, which again, which made sense last series to use Tory Craig because you didn't have a point guard that you had to hold yourself accountable for like that. But Koji in this series being able to screen navigate on ball and off ball and to do so with the requisite level of physicality to, again, help to set a tone for this team is just going to be invaluable. So having him to attach to Jamal and say, okay, we don't have to send too much extra attention outside of maybe in pick and roll because he can come off and pull up, of course. But outside of that, guard your yard, Josh. We can hold it down across the floor in the other four spots. That's important to have because a lot of teams don't have that point of attack guy that can be that physical and um, just really just weigh down on uh, on Jamal. And just kind of looking at Jamal last series against Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who had an important um, dynamic that he brought to the table that wasn't expected. Um, just kind of looking at him, he held Jamal Murray to 13 of 36 shooting in 40 and a half minutes spent guarding Jamal Murray through those five games. That's 36%. That's very good. That is extremely good. So adding the Suns context to it, if you're looking at Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who is a lot slimmer in in frame than Akoji is, and you take the dynamic of physicality that Akoji brings, the defense might be at the same level or a little bit better from Akoji, but being that physical in addition to all of that, to where he's not getting pushed around by Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic and switches, it makes a big difference. And then kind of looking at uh, Nikola Jokic, I mean, that's all DeAndre Aiden. Yeah. And I think you made a great point in talking about Kevin Durant's help side defense. That was one of the main reasons why I felt like the addition of Kevin Durant was important. Obviously, the offense, again, speaks for itself. But defensively, the versatility to be able to switch one through five or one through four with KD on the floor, but also be able to switch and have somebody on the backside of those switches when uh, DeAndre Aiden's drawn away from the basket if Jokic is initiating or they're in their delay offense where Jokic has the ball at the dome having somebody underneath to where when they go into their cuts off of curls and things like that, that they love to spam and that we'll see plenty of, Durant can switch that. He can scram guys out of mismatches and he can protect the basket. Like a lot of teams don't have that four next to their five without compromising their rotations. They can do that. Kevin Durant does that in the starting lineup and the closing lineup. So that's something that's going to be important to see from the Suns. But Jokic is going to eat. He's going to eat. It's just a matter of if DeAndre Aiden can defend, make him work like he did in that last series without fouling that's the most important part i was literally going to say i think one of the skills that we've we've talked about but maybe not get to all the attention his ability not to foul is going to be almost as important as his actual rim protection in this series like Mm -hmm. he has to stay out there because as much as we give biz credit for his perimeter defense that is probably better than jocks deandre's absolutely deandre's is something Mm -hmm. else Mm-hmm. He has to be out there so that he can stick with Jokic anywhere. Like I love Biz. Biz is not someone that you want to be regularly guarding at the perimeter. It's a nice plus, but you know where he does his business defensively, and it's good to have him where he needs to be. DeAndre Ayton's got to stay on the court. In terms of the rest of the matchups, this is where I'm curious to get your thoughts. We've got Josh probably on Jamal. We've got DA on Jokic, wherever they go. So we now have another three guys to kind of account for. Um, More than likely, in most minutes, it's going to be Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. And for the Nuggets, you're looking at Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, or a mix, Bruce Brown, KCP, some, some mix there. No real undersized players. Mm-hmm. Out of that grouping, uh, Chris Paul, defensively, I was intrigued to see maybe where your mind was at in terms of what role he plays in that. Um, and do you think the Nuggets are going to try to just spam the switches until they get 
Chris Paul on someone who is either more athletic, more physical, or just has the height advantage. Because again, I'm just trying to think like what what do the Nuggets think will be their biggest advantage on that side of the court? Well, I think the biggest advantage is going to be the big fella underneath uh, that's in the MVP uh, conversation right now, Jokic. So I do think they don't run as uh, against comparing series. They don't run as much uh, matchup hunting styles of actions. They will get it organically because the Suns will be switching, but they don't necessarily go out of their way on offense because they run uh, a pretty good blend of um, pick and roll with uh, motion offense. Obviously, with Jokic having the ball in his hands and players cutting off of screens and handoffs, all of that fun stuff. So I'm not sure necessarily that they'll go to an advantage outside of having Jokic with the ball in his hands most often. But I do think that the Suns, if they can, uh, like, if we're looking at specific matchups, I think it'll probably be KCP will be guarded by CP3. And then Devin Booker will probably get the Michael Porter Jr. And then obviously Durant will be on Aaron Gordon. Uh, which is something that's going to be important to watch because Aaron Gordon did not have a good series in the first round. Mm -hmm. And if his shooting numbers struggle to the extent that they are uh, in a sustained manner throughout this series, we'll see a lot more of Durant closer to the basket, kind of being treated like the Clippers were treating any non-Kevin Durant or Devin Booker's son last series with um, helping off of them and conceding to showing the extra body and being ready to load up at the basket and grab rebounds. Um, and I think that's going to be important because if Aaron Gordon isn't hitting, obviously DeAndre Aiden's going to be away from the basket guarding Jokic. Having Kevin Durant closer to the basket to load up for those box out opportunities, which the, um, I was going to say Orlando Magic, excuse me, which the Denver Nuggets, especially with Aaron Gordon specifically, are going to crash the glass on offense hard. Like the mm-hmm. way a Koji crashes the offensive glass, the way Torrey Craig does it, it has even more of an impact with Aaron Gordon because he's a bigger body and he throws his weight around and he's more athletic. I- I was gonna so that's say, gonna be important to have for sure. So that was that was something for me that my brain was trying to figure out. I, I thought based on a lot of Monty's comments, based on how Booker played in the first series, I said maybe Booker is on Murray, maybe than more than we thought. I think he would do fine. I would much prefer it be Josh. But Michael Porter Jr. is six foot ten. He is not a small guy. Him and Gordon both have size and will have size on a fair amount of the matchups in a very motion-heavy offense. For me, I think that, and to your point, I think that means you've got to have DA or KD at home always. And how you make that happen, how you don't get stretched out, I'm intrigued to see what the plan is there because they have guys that, aren't just big, they're athletic and big. They've got a pretty good first step. And usually, in a traditional world where you're playing with a seven-foot, however-many-pound center, you're like, well, yeah, if nothing else, we know that you can't create that much space because you've got that guy down there, right? You know that's how it works. The Nuggets do not operate like a normal team with a player that is built like their player. He can go sit in the corner. He can initiate the fast break or just any half-court offense. They set themselves up to where everything under the rim, just the general restricted area, there's a lot of sets. And I was, and I was watching this in the T-Wolf series because you know where Gobert wants to be and you know where Cat wants to be. Mm-hmm. They did everything in their power organically to tell those guys, you can stay there, but we're going to have some other people wide open that you're going to have to deal with. Because they can live without having a constant presence offensively under the rim. I think they are going to really try to draw DeAndre Ayton out as much as they possibly can. Because I thought he did a phenomenal job in his series against him. But a lot of what I remember as the big kind of bright spots are that post-defense. And again, that was in a Jamal Murray-less world. Getting Jokic the ball closer to the rim makes sense from a coaching perspective if he doesn't have weapons around him to create four. So that made sense. He has his weapons now. So he doesn't care where he's getting the ball. He can do work. I feel like we're going to have to have someone down there, and that's where I get a little nervous about the foul trouble because it's a little tougher to maintain your spacing, 
your verticality, keeping your feet under you when you're getting attacked with such a long runway, essentially. And, and I'm just, I'm curious from your, from your perspective outside of Jokic and outside of Murray, who on the nuggets worries you the most? Cause we've seen Gordon do damage in the past to the Suns. We've seen Michael Porter jr. Have a stellar year shooting the ball. Who do you think could be that guy that really can sw- swing a game one way or another for them? Oh, it's definitely Michael Porter Jr. That's what they're paying him for. That's what they drafted him for. And that's the role that he fits in for this team. And it's just the manners in which he goes about scoring, um, whether that's on the second side of a Jokic post-up, whether that be in the corner opposite of a pick and roll between Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. While that gets all the attention, all of a sudden now he's getting a spray pass to the corner and he's knocking down that shot with a seven, like a 7-1 release on his jump shot. So even if you do get there, if you're not Kevin Durant, you're probably not going to viably contest that shot. Um, and he's also showing an ability to get into the post a little bit. That's the next step in his game that they're waiting for, for him to take full advantage of his stature and also to exert less energy running around screens all the time. Um, that's I don't think that's going to be a dynamic that they tap into enough this series for it to be something for the Suns to worry about in terms of matchups. But Michael Porter Jr., if he's knocking down his shots at that well above 40% clip, yeah. On the catch and shoot that he's more than capable of, like he's legitimately one of the best shooters in the NBA, that can change some of the math for the Suns, and not even necessarily just because it's hard to stop him because you're obviously conceding attention to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. But if he's knocking down threes, that means that the Nuggets are shooting more threes, and if the Nuggets are shooting more threes, the Suns could potentially run into a math problem because we know they don't shoot the most threes, especially when they're able to so easily get to the mid-range or for Devin Booker, get to the basket in addition to the mid-range. So being able to neutralize the volume of shots that Michael Porter Jr. can get up, and if you can tinker with the efficiency on that as well, will definitely be important because of the potential math problem that the Nuggets can uh, put forth onto the Suns. And I think that is one advantage that they do have in terms of their offensive process versus the Suns is that three-point discrepancy. Yeah, I think, and this is incredibly quick math looking at a couple charts here, it looks like they hit just over three threes more than the Suns per game in their five-game series equally. Um, and that doesn't surprise me at all. I wouldn't be shocked when it comes to our series, that number discrepancy grows. Um, but yeah, Michael Porter Jr., man, I, I thought one thing from him that stood out to me in the Timberwolves series that I just don't watch as much as you when it comes to Denver, so it could be new to me, but everyone else has known I thought when the Timberwolves attacked the closeout pretty hard on his three, he was doing a better job than I remember in the past of taking a couple steps and then actually taking that 10 to 12 footer. Um, I don't think he is looking to be a mid-range aficionado, but to him, that's probably a more efficient shot than attacking the rim. And he looked really confident kind of on those quick Clay Thompson-esque stop, go completely vertical, get your clean release and then move on to the next thing. That that was impressive to me, and I saw him do that a lot with a Gobert and Carl who want you to come to the rim. They're not wanting to step out. So I was really impressed by him. I think, obviously, he's had a great statistical season, but he's, like, good, good. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. a, a two-person team with a group around him. Like, I feel like he is creeping into that, yes, this money makes sense, because to a lot of people's credit, that was a lot of money to throw at a guy who hadn't quite shown what he was yet. And had um, the injury history and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's starting to look like it. Uh, and that should worry people. Let's, let's flip the script a little bit here. We've talked a lot about, I think, what the Nuggets can do to the Suns or maybe what they're looking to do to the Suns. What do you see, other than the fact that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are good at basketball, what do you see as the things the Suns should be able to take advantage of on either side of the ball? So I think we talk about um, clashing the styles. So what we saw in the first round series against the Clippers was, which I, which I mentioned in our preview pod and in the Steven Study pod as well, um, the fact that the Clippers could throw the entire kitchen sink defensively at the Suns, how that could be beneficial for them if they navigated appropriately. They did that and won that series in five. But there are a lot of lessons to take from that because looking at the Suns' process on offense, when the, when the Clippers went to their drop covers, what do we see? 
a ton of mid-range baskets being hit in barrages. Sometimes at a, um, a manner in which the Clippers just couldn't match up with. When the Clippers decided to bring their bigs closer to the level of the screen, what did we see? Devin Booker stretching that out, hitting the second side, stretching those rotations on the second side, and the Suns getting into their catch-and-shoot bag as a team. Knocking down corner threes, knocking down threes above the break, knocking down threes from the strong side if they can see it off of the help on that side of the floor, and just really compromising and having a direct answer for whatever the Clippers tried to do defensively. So if we look at the Nuggets, the Nuggets this season, more than that last time when they saw the Suns in 2021, are running a lot more of Nikola Jokic being up to touch and at the level of screens and pick and roll defense. With that comes a requisite level of activity from the second side of the defense of the Nuggets. And where they've had their issues defensively, that's been in pick and roll defense. They have struggled to guard pick and roll ball handlers. They've been conceding 15 points a game in these playoffs which is second to only the Golden State Warriors who can see more points to pick and roll ball handlers. And that's at a 1.07 points per possession clip, which is also second to the Golden State Warriors, uh, which is not good. Um, and, of course, the team that can compromise that the most, and we're talking about styles making fights, is the Phoenix Suns. No other team in the playoffs runs the pick and roll as well as the uh, Phoenix Suns do. Also, no other team in the West has as many options to run pick and roll with as the Suns do. We can even go past Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and obviously Kevin Durant and throw Cameron Payne into the mix. We keep talking about the pace and tempo he plays with. That's enough to compromise, especially when you're bringing your bigs up to the level of the screen. So looking at dynamic, that dynamic, excuse me, going up against the Denver Nuggets and keeping them in rotation based off of the, the, um, the foundation of their pick and roll defense, it's going to be something to watch for. Jokic is not chopped liver defensively. I don't know where this, <laughs> I don't know where this idea came from that he's a revolving door. He just can't move. Like he has some of the best hands that you've ever you will ever see on a basketball court. And that's not just exclusive to front court pieces. That's in NBA in general. He has some of the best hands and anticipatory skill with his IQ and to be able to react to what he's thinking and processing in his head. So the Suns being able to string that out. Um, and definitely get into the short role as well, which is going to be another dynamic that's going to be important to hit, will be important to see kind of play out against the Nuggets defense. All right. So all of that said, you know what time it is. <laughs> you looked really good in the uh, first series. You look great. But I think this one's a little tougher. We've got the Phoenix Suns, Denver Nuggets. Nuggets do have home court advantage starting Saturday night in Denver. The schedule ended up being kind of favorable just in terms of the amount of rest for both teams, which I think favors the Suns more, given the weirdness of playing in Denver. Right now, I'll go ahead and start this. I am teetering between Suns and six versus Suns and seven. I want to say six, so I will. I'm talking to myself at this point. I'm going to go Suns in six. What makes me nervous is that we weren't that far away from it being Suns in six against the Clippers. And I think the Nuggets are much better talent-wise than the Clippers. But to your point, I think style of play-wise, the Suns versus Nuggets actually is better for the Suns. So I'm going to go Suns in six. I'll see how dumb I look later. (laughs) But if you had to put out a prediction, where are you at and maybe why? So at at this moment being Friday evening, just around noon Central Standard Time, I am leaning towards Suns in six. However, because of, and it's the caveat, because of what the Suns can do to the Nuggets defense and the many different ways they can compromise them, whether that be individual defense, because the Nuggets have a ton of proverbial pigeons that the Suns can um, look to exploit, whether that be in isolation putting them in rotation on defense and making them make decisions and help or putting them in one-on-one isolation. I think that's something that could definitely weigh over the course of this series, especially if we see the Devin Booker we saw in round one. And you're about to go less than six, aren't you? And potentially, man, potentially if we see that Devin Booker, in addition to Kevin Durant, putting his foot down even more, like you mentioned, we've seen Kevin Durant be very good, but we haven't seen him be his level of great. His level of great is different than most people's, obviously good so seeing him be good and be above average is one thing but if he puts his stamp down because he doesn't have 
uh, um, Kawhi Leonard to worry about defensively could change things. Like Aaron Gordon is no bum defensively, but he's also not close to Kawhi Leonard in any capacity. I'm with you, man. That's that's Mm -hmm. the thing for if I'm looking at one clear like side of the court matchup where I'm like it, I I have a hard time seeing how this doesn't lead to a victory. The Suns' offense versus the Nuggets' defense should be a massive plus for the Suns' general outcome for the whole series. Like I do think the Nuggets have some incredibly talented guys on offense. Absolutely, but I think the Suns can take a few punches and hold their own. I I don't know where the Nuggets would have to pull someone to be like, hey, can we can we stop Kevin Durant? And like, because even when you saw when the Clippers at times did okay, where they would throw a double but have the speed and athleticism to recover, that's it. That the Nuggets don't have that. It's Michael Porter Jr. making some of those rotations instead of it being a Russell Westbrook There's or no Norman way. Powell or um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just different, man. It's just different. Or Terrence Mann, that's the other name I was thinking of. Those rotations yeah. being made versus those three versus it being a Michael Porter Jr. or even a KCP or a Bruce Brown who are not slouches defensively. They just lack They're the not. requisite stature. It's just different. It's just yeah. different. Uh, and I think Coach Mike, not Michael, Mike. That's right. Get it right. Thank you. Uh, has said, <laughs> like many other coaches, you you don't stop KD one-on-one and so the question is what do you do when you need to double one or two people but your team can't that is a problem and a question the nuggets will have to figure out and hopefully an issue the suns will exploit so looking at game one tomorrow night if if everything goes according to plan do you think this is a nail biter or do you think Suns come out strong in a way that they didn't do against the Clippers and kind of set the tone for the series? I think the Suns come out and they contrast to what we saw for a majority of the first round series. They come out and they dictate terms. I think they force the Nuggets to make adjustments first. And I think they come out and they not they don't necessarily blow them out the water right away, but I think they come out to a first quarter lead. And they kind of just put their stamp on the game more and more as it kind of goes forward. This is some weird psychological nonsense that might not make any sense. So forgive me in advance. (laughs) I know statistically the Suns were better at home than on the road during the regular season. I feel like there's a lot of guys on the Suns that would rather win a game on the road than at home in the playoffs. Now, they would never say that because they don't want to hurt the fans' feelings. They don't want to make you feel invaluable. But I feel like Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul are all three the type of guys that they would much rather have a big shot that silences a crowd than hit a big shot and the place goes crazy. I feel like they are all that level basketball and psychological sickos of just everyone shut up because of what I'm doing. I think the Suns playing at home to start the Clippers series was a fun thing that happened. But I think there is a more prove-it mentality that comes with starting game one on the road. And I am hoping, 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 hoping that they set the tone and and win game one. Steal the home court advantage real quick. Put it on their terms and see what happens. I'm curious to see. And and I didn't didn't feel like it was worth talking about because I feel like there's just too many unknowns. Curious to talk after game one or two to see what Monty does with the reserves and the rotations. Because I think that that will also have to have a different game plan than what we saw in the Clippers. Like, I just, I didn't feel it fair to be like, all right, we saw this against the Clippers. How is that going to work against the Nuggets? I don't think that's how the playoffs work. I definitely don't think it works when the two styles are so different on the other side of the court. Um, But worth keeping an eye on. And so as we end almost every episode, Stephen, what is one thing that our listeners need to be watching for in game one? I think. This is a great question, and I have so much like so much nope. buzzing around in my head. Nope. I'm, honestly, I, was I don't. Say, I know you're in like crazy prep mode between a million man. things, but I knew you'd have something. Man, I think looking at the Suns' bench. So obviously, that was a riddle for Monty Williams to solve, and he went about going about it a few different ways in the first round. I think this could potentially be a big series for both Damian Lee and Landry Shamit. 
Now, we didn't say that last series, obviously, and we saw either one or the other. We usually didn't see both in tandem with each other in the rotation. But I do think that because the Clippers had a lot more on-ball creators than off-ball in the manner in which the Nuggets are built, that allows for Monty to be okay with putting one of those two players on the floor more often than he did in the first round. And naturally, if you have one of those two players on the court, that could potentially be them in that corner opposite of a Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, or Devin Booker initiated pick and roll. And those corner shots where the low man for the Nuggets is going to have to be in rotation. It's going to present plenty of opportunity to knock down catch and shoots for those three, for those two players. And obviously that's the thing that they bring to the table that's most valuable for the Suns. So if they can knock down, I would say if they can knock down over and under four corner threes a game between those two, that's enough math to flip the flip the switch of this series that might be potentially close and make it more favorable for the Suns. Yeah. And with that, my one thing to look for, and this might be more than game one, I think the way the styles are on both sides, if you're looking for a series where the Suns can maybe give their guys some minutes back on those legs, it could be this one. Um, we're not even going to get into general fan opinion. But when you're talking about defensively, how you handle Jamal Murray, kind of that that hounding pest defensively who's never going to leave your side, Josh is the first option, but I think Landry's a great second. Like, I thought he played that role very well in the first series. And defensively, there's really never been a moment for him where he seems to check out. Offensively, sometimes he gets scrambled, sometimes he doesn't hit. But defensively, he's very good at doing that. I think that's why Monty goes back to him. And Damian Lee, to your point, I think that corner three is going to be open. So having those guys not have to kind of be plugged into another system, but actually be a part of a game plan. I'm hoping to see Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul's minutes take a couple steps back, even if it is three to four minutes, right? You're looking at another team, by the way, who their two superstars also played a crap ton of basketball, including an overtime game. They're, it's not like we're doing something that other people aren't. So if you can find ways to kind of hedge a little bit and set yourself up well for a lot more basketball to be played, you find a way to do it. I'm hoping this series can grant that um, for a lot of different people. But, man, I'm excited. Uh, what what other basketball do people need to be watching? Because I'm guessing there's a lot on your mind here. For, for the Suns fans who want to watch something else before Saturday, what are you most excited for? And watch that son, that Suns, excuse me, the clip the Clippers. Oh my God. You're killing me. it. Watch the King. <laughs> I can speak English, I promise you. Watch that Kings and the Warriors series. It is some of the highest level of basketball. We got De'Aaron Fox out here scoring crazy and shooting jump shots with a broken finger. Um, we got obviously Stephen Curry, Draymond Green being a generational defender, doing what he does against a team that's obviously offensive minded. It's just a lot to see in that series. So I think if you like offense, that's the series you should certainly be tuned into. And it has the potential to go seven if the Kings can handle their business in a hostile environment. I hope so. Yeah, the Grizzlies-Lakers series has definitely been louder. The Kings-Warriors series has been better. Now, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. If LeBron is on the court somewhere, I will be watching. So I'll be watching them both. Absolutely. Yeah, Warriors-Kings has been phenomenal, man. It's it's been great. Um, And we've said it a million times. If you enjoy watching Suns basketball, you'll definitely enjoy watching more basketball. So check it out. Uh, Quick shout out to Matt Ishbia, the owner of the Suns, right before we started recording. Pretty massive announcement in regards to a lot of our listener and viewers and everything in terms of those around Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Breaking the ties from old Bally Sports and actually letting Phoenix Suns basketball be on local television where more people can watch, more people can take it in. Going into the next couple of years, there will never be a better time if you're in the Phoenix area to enjoy Suns basketball and be a part of it. Our ownership, I mean, they're taking a financial hit doing this. Obviously, they're not dummies. They, they think it'll work in their favor, but they're allowing more people to get their eyes on hoops, and I love it. I'm happy for Suns fans, a lot of which have dealt with nonsense. Uh, us out-of-towners, we just get league pass in our life. It's pretty fine. That's it. <laughs> uh, as a proud league, league pass subscriber for longer than I'd like to admit. Uh, but 
Thank you all for listening. We are excited to not just preview this series, but keep you up to date as the series continues. Uh, Steven might be working on something special as well throughout getting a couple of side things going, maybe another sun study. Does that yeah, sound right? Plenty. Yes, sir. We got the preview, the written preview coming for sometime tomorrow, hopefully early tomorrow morning before noon central standard time. And then we also will have a sun study with Steven Pye for tomorrow as well. Love it. And you can find all of that getting shared on our Twitter account at the Valley PHX. And for Steve and I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley, Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out. Peace.